Hi, welcome to the Valley of the Lost, a podcast where we look into missing persons and murder in our great state, Arizona. I'm Nicole. I'm Ann. Grab a drink. Get comfy. And let's get lost. Um, there's something I want to address um, to anyone who's listening um and continue like um, who plans on continue to listen um the um i just did it right there i caught myself i um right i um so much that um we actually are going to turn this into a drinking game so the editing isn't as um hard um did it again (laughs) wasted 30 seconds in bro it's bad guys it's really bad it's worse than my habit of staring at my pop filter that's what i want to do so anytime we can't really like yeah we're just gonna leave it in there if you catch it bottoms up guys if you're drinking cheers friends happy tuesday night murder and tacos Oh yeah, murder and tacos. Tonight there is no actual murder though. Before we get into the story, I do want to go over some current recent Arizona events, some true crime stuff. And then I also wanted to acknowledge that April is National Sexual Assault Awareness Month and it's April. So if you or someone you know is struggling or was or is a victim of sexual assault, please go online to rain.org or if you or you can download the app capital r-a-i-n-n is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization they are available 24 7 and are free and confidential so there's that and then i think nicole you had something as well oh man yes so today (laughs) i found an article that was the the first execution in arizona since 2014 was scheduled today oh damn and today's four five and i april 5th uh today's the april 5th okay yeah i don't i don't know no no no, yeah no no, it's good that we say that too because it's we're recording and this is going to release in a few weeks so yeah um so and the crazy part about this we might actually even have to cover this because this was a the reason why he's being put to death is a cold case and Mm -hmm. it was a cold case from a rape murder sorry trigger warning um sexual murder yeah that was like that happened 20 years ago and the detective just opened it up recently well let's see i'm sorry when was it let me double check so that's like what like 2000 that's so crazy Mm-hmm. is that crazy to think about mm-hmm. like 2002 damn it was 20 yeah years in ago. 2002 mm-hmm. 2002 and so he was actually the guy that was in prison that they found out because in 2002 they reopened the case and did the dna testing the dna actually matched the guy was already in prison from a sexual assault that he did in 1986 why was he out? <laughs> I think that no, he sounds he like a great prison. case. Oh, what? He, he was already in, he was in prison already serving. So 
he was oh. out in 2002 when he did the the rape and murder that he was convicted for for this this death but he was yeah. already in prison He was already serving a life sentence for a 1986 sexual assault conviction. This original, original attack happened in 1978. So in 1978, he did this original attack, which he's being put to death for um, here in the next few months. And then in 2002 is when he actually was convicted of this murder. But before that, in 1986. So what is that? 78 to 86? <laughs> That's yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> he got away with it once, did it again, and actually got caught. Oh. Crazy. Yeah, that sounds like definitely something that we should be covering for sure. And like in current events, current events, he has to decide the way that he wants to be um, what's the verbiage. I want to be politically correct, of course, in the death penalty. Um, so he has to decide whether he wants to be in, uh, executed by a gas chamber or by a lethal drug. Here's Ooh. the caveat. Supply chain, homie. He may, he may not even have a choice. He might just be getting the gas chamber because there might not be drugs for the lethal injection. Really? How crazy is that? Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't there be drugs? Because, like, of all everything that's happening, like COVID. Oh, and that's crazy. Supply a supply issue? <laughs> what a crazy time. Right. Yeah. That. Supply issue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all of a sudden. And like the gas chamber thing wasn't even legal until not too long ago. They, they like took it away and then now they brought it back. Because they said it was so inhumane. That's crazy. Well, that sounds yeah, like something we're going to be covering. Supply chain, I guess. <laughs> that sounds like something we'll yeah. be covering. Um, I read something. It's okay. So it's, <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> But it made me laugh and I shouldn't laugh because again, oh, no. really, it's never okay to do this. Like ever. If you do it, you're not, you're don't like it's gross. It's weird. Don't do it. All right. Phoenix man was caught exposing himself during a flight. According to the FBI, the passenger was seen pleasuring himself next to another passenger during a recent flight to Phoenix. So there's that. Oh. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, Can and I imagine being next to that person on a flight. No, like I think like, that's why I can't. Hell? I can't stop laughing about it because I'm like, what the fuck? Like what? <laughs> I had to read uh-huh. it a couple times, like because I was just like, wait, what? Like every single time. And then also um, another thing I wanted to mention, like, like yesterday, a man was shot and killed just after midnight near 75th Ave. Oh no, this was like on April 2nd. This was like on Saturday, I think near 75th Ave and Indian School Road. The victim was taken to the hospital where he later died. The police are looking for two suspects. One of them goes by the name Slow Motion 
If you have any info, please contact the police at 602-262-6151 or call Silent Witness at 480-WITNESS. So are you ready to talk about some aliens? Yeah, let's into the truth. story. All right. I guys, I'm also ADHD. So I'm I apologize. I trail off. I go off on tangents and I just apologize. I'm like ahead of time. I'm sorry. It's something I'm gonna do. And I apologize oh, no, ahead of time. It's becoming a thing. <laughs> it's already an episode. Nicole, you're you're you you born here, right? Like you're from here. Yeah, I grew up here. I, I, we moved here when I was three, so. Do you remember the Phoenix Lights, like, that occurrence? Mm-mm. And you don't remember it? Were you living in Phoenix? Mm-mm. What year was uh, it? 1997. Yeah, I was here. Oh. <laughs> I was <laughs> 10. I must have just missed you. Okay, okay, that's, that's about yeah. that age, too. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Um. Yeah, uh, I remember it, but my mom was also like a weird sci-fi, like crazy nerd and loved like UFOs and aliens. So she even has her own account. All right. So the Phoenix Lights. All right. Thousands of people saw it. Um, they're also known as the Lights Over Phoenix. It was a huge phenomenon. It occurred on the night of March 13th, 1997. Probably the largest UFO sighting in modern history. Well, you know, that we probably like know of thousands of eyewitness accounts poured in from Southern Nevada, all over Arizona and Sonora, Mexico. Over the span of the evening, as the lights made their way south, two events occurred that night. The first being the lights in the triangular formation that seems to have passed over the state reaching Phoenix. And the second, a series of stationary lights that hovered over the Phoenix Valley until heading farther south. So the first account that I could find was at 6.55 p.m. The first report came in. A man reported seeing a large V-shaped object the size of a Boeing 747. And the only sound coming from it was the sound of rushing wind. A former police officer from Paulden, Arizona, which is about 2,000 miles north of Phoenix, he said as he was driving away from his house, he could see a cluster of red lights in the sky Four reddish-orange lights together with the fifth following behind them. He went home and watched the lights until they disappeared on the southern horizon. It was traveling in a southeast direction is what I think he said. And then copious amounts like then on of eyewitness reports were coming in around Prescott and Prescott Valley area. Callers said that they were unknown lights attached to a solid flying object flying out blocking out the clear night sky. And then this is one of my favorite accounts that I've read. Tim Lee and his family had an insane encounter with the object. Based on the testimony, it sounds like they saw it after leaving the Prescott Valley area and were about 65 miles away when it actually caught up to them. As they made their way home towards the Phoenix area, they described it as five separate lights in an arc shape. But after 10 to 15 minutes, It was much closer, and Tim described it as a V-shape. The object continued to get closer until it was directly over them. He said it moved so slowly that it passed. When it passed, it seemed to hover and not fly. It was completely silent. Super, super duper creepy. 
It moved past them and through the mountain passage and laid ahead. Tim Lee said it was astonishing, a little frightening. It was so big and strange, you couldn't actually see the object. All you could see was the outline, as though something was blotting out the stars. The lights looked like gas. There was a distortion on the surface. Also, the lights did not spill out or shine. He's never seen anything like that, is what he was, is basically the last thing he said. There was a report in the USA Today at the time the air traffic controllers could not see the lights on the radar despite seeing them with their own eyes in the sky, which I think that's incredibly significant and insane. Like, wouldn't you, Nicole? Like, yeah, that's crazy. Like, so the no radars picked it up. It was just whatever cameras people could get. Right, right. If you had a camera or your actual eyes and you were standing outside, that was the only, like, no radar was picking them up. Dr. Lynn Kitty said, quote, it was a mile wide formation of these orbs and I caught them head on turning into a V. Sue Watson, another witness said, quote, a shopping mall flying over my home. It had these lights in front and then it was totally illuminated underneath like a yellowish amber. It was a round boomerang shape. Another article from the USA Today said computer analysis of the tapes from this night puts the object at 6,000 feet long or more than a mile. There are other accounts out there and they disagree and say it was not a solid object, but that each light was actually its own craft. A truck driver named Bill Greiner was driving about a mile from the Luke Air Force Base during this event. He witnessed two orbs. One was floating over the base, and in that moment, three F-16s took off. One orb followed one of the jets before shooting upwards away from it. Bill had this to say, quote, Before this, if anybody told me they saw a UFO, I would have laughed and said, yeah, and I believe in the tooth fairy. Now I've got a whole new view. I may be just a dumb truck driver, but I've seen something that don't belong here. I wish the government would just admit it. You know, you know what it's like in the city right now? It's like having 50,000 people in a stadium to watch a football game than having someone tell us we weren't there, end quote. That's nuts. That's so nuts. He honestly sounds like a really smart guy because I would be thinking the same thing. Like, Mm. why is, what? (laughs) Yeah. What do you mean? Like, nothing happened. Like, what? All right. <laughs> yeah, that that was one of my favorite quotes. Yep. Um for sure, like yeah, one of my favorite accounts. And the F the F16s shooting out from the Air Force base, like that's they they, they never commented. Like I couldn't find a comment on that or anything. So interesting. Mm-hmm. While in Phoenix, the second event occurred. It was a set of nine lights that appeared to hover over the Phoenix area at around 10 p.m. This was the big one that gained majority of the attention from the media and also happens to be the event that the Air Force has debunked. Dana Valentine viewed the object from his backyard in Phoenix and said, quote, I don't know exactly what it was, but I know it's not technology the public has heard of or seen before, end quote. After the events, Frances Barwood, a local city councilwoman, asked if there would be any formal investigation and follow-ups. She asked if anybody knew what this object was or if we can look into it. She was met with blank stares in the meeting. 
She also claims that a city planner approached her afterwards and said, quote, you shouldn't have asked that question, end quote. After the Arizona Republic published a cartoon embellishment of the councilwoman with the light switch on her forehead with a button on her power blazer that said, I love UFOs. Councilwomen always wear like power blazers. I used, I used to wear one too when I was in the office. Um, so that's why I, I envision it being. Barwood continues with the mayor's office put signs on my pictures in the hallway. And I found out afterwards that they had passed out business cards with my name on it with speak into the foil. I will hear you. Despite being ridiculed, Barwood began to receive phone calls from other witnesses. So I feel like she was basically just like bullied by like probably all the men that she worked with. (laughs) That's what I feel like there. Right. Like for being the weird one. Right. And just quotation. Yeah. Yeah. And basically being like just ridiculed. And on June 18th, three months after the sightings, the U.S. Today finally published an article bringing it into the national spotlight. From the article, quote, on March 13th, hundreds of people reported an enormous object or objects in the night sky. It's the most confounding UFO report in 50 years. So far, there is no explanation, but the government is not investigating. Local and federal agencies disagree over who should purse the report, end quote. Then Arizona Governor Fife Symington held a press conference. I remember this on the news, too. I remember watching this. Um, he held a press conference where he claimed he knew who was responsible for the lights over Phoenix. Shortly after this announcement, he brought out the accused. Then a couple of police officers escorted out the guilty party. It was one of his aides dressed up in an alien costume. Symington even made a joke about not letting it close to him. Like he was like, when I watched the video, he's like, don't let that thing near me. But however, several weeks later, he publicly admitted that he too saw the craft. He went on to say, quote, I saw a huge craft come over Squaw Peak. It was breathtaking. As a pilot and a former Air Force officer, I can definitely say that this craft did not resemble any man-made object that I'd ever seen. It was certainly not high altitude flares because I've never seen flares fly in formation. This was a UFO. He also made mention that his office did inquire about the object. However, his office never received an answer, end quote. So before I go into like any of the theories or like any more, what are your thoughts, Nicole? Like, I definitely think that there was a collective people that experienced something that evening. I definitely think like, especially hearing from that military personnel, you know, with his experience, like, what if you were hiking during that time too? Yeah, on like a night hike or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's like my mom's account. She loved UFOs. Like we always watched. This was the time that we were watching X-Files and like Unsolved Mysteries. Yes. Right? Right? <laughs> and so like she would often like sit outside on the patio and look up at the stars. So like that's that's why she saw it. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Do you think they're like covering anything up? Like, I just feel like it's, it's weird how like he poked it's fun the out government. of it. <laughs> right. Right. Like, do you, like, what are they covering up? <laughs> I mean, right. Do you, yeah. yeah. Do you think they know something and they just didn't want to tell the governor? Or do you think they told the governor and they like, were like, you stay quiet, bro. Like, no, I don't even think the governor. Say nothing. 
Because, I mean, like, Area 51, right? Like, how long did they deny that, deny that, deny that? And then all of a sudden, this whole, like, massive area is like, yep, Area 51 exists. Right. So I just think that, you know, they're just going to deny it, deny it, deny it. Be right up front with you. There is no theory for the first event with it. Like, basically, I think, I feel like it flew down, like, the 17. Like, that's what I envision. Like, it came from Prescott, like, in that, from that area. And I just feel like it came down the 17 to Phoenix. Like... I just envision yeah. this huge craft flying slash hovering for a while in places, maybe making its way to Phoenix. And then when it gets to Phoenix, this is the kind of when the second occurrence, the second event starts. And that was with the, the lights that were kind of out of formation. You know what I mean? They weren't in that V shape anymore, but they were all still kind of information, like in a weird way. Um, and there was like nine of them. So there, there's that one. They explained that event as a slow falling, long burning LUU 2B slash B illumination flare dropped by a flight of four A-10 Warthog aircrafts that happened to be on a training exercise. And if this is correct, the flares would have been visible from the Phoenix area, which, all right, and would appear to hover due to rising hot air from the burning flares, creating a balloon effect on the parachutes, which would slow them as they came down. The military flares can be seen hundreds of miles away if given the ideal environmental conditions, which it sounds like they would have that night. And then there was a Maryland Maryland Air National Guard pilot, Lieutenant Colonel Ed Jones, I don't even know if I said did that right because I don't I don't really know military, but they responded to March 2007 media query. He confirmed that he had flown one of the aircrafts in the formation that dropped the flares on the night in question. The squadron he belonged to had been at Davis Monthan Air Force Base, Arizona. I don't know where that is. Um, it's Davis Monthan Air Force Base. Do you know where that is at? Southeast downtown Tucson. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So they were on a training exercise at the time. However, there has never been a plausible explanation, like I was saying, for the first event. So do you think that could be alien activity? Like, do you think, yeah, like you were saying, like, you think, like, a lot of people had some sort of experience, right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. And whether um, that was, like, universal or energy or aliens, it was definitely a universal experience that people had and feel extremely confident about. And, like, people from all different backgrounds, too. Like, it's it wasn't necessarily, like, you know, a specific type of person either or human that saw these lights. And it's definitely something to be like considered and definitely something to like look into. Right. What if it was like the beginning of like Starlink (laughs) and it was just like this like computer lights that was like part of expanding a network. Yeah. I don't know. The truth is out there, man. I definitely think that we're not alone. And I don't know. I mean, I guess it could have been flares for the second event, like I guess, but I just feel like they wouldn't have stayed where they were for so long because they weren't falling. And they did say with the balloon and the hot air and that it would come back up, which makes sense. Like that makes 
complete sense, but I don't think they would hover in place for as long as they did because they were in place for not hours, but I think it was like a, like several, I don't know, like 30 minutes. I read it and I didn't write it down because I feel like it's just really convenient. Exactly. And there is nothing to, there's, there's no theory or anything like that other than aliens for the first event. So, and the first event covered nearly like 300 miles, by the way. So that's like over 700 people just along that route called in an experience. The, the ones in Phoenix, like that second event just happens to be the one that like got caught on camera the most. So there was a really strange and disturbing account that came in on March 14th, the day after from an unidentified airman from Luke air force base. He claimed that there was a phone call from the Prescott Valley airport, an unknown object had a near miss with a small Cessna, Cessna, Cessna. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I didn't even know what that was. So I looked it up and it's a really small plane. Like, If when you think of like going to like Alaska and then like going anywhere but Anchorage, it'd be like on a plane like that or like a personal plane, you know, those cool millionaires like from the 1940s would be flying around in. Um, my absolute favorite, favorite account that I came across came from. Are you ready for this, Nicole? I don't know if you're ready for this. It came from Kurt Russell. <laughs> yes. What? Yes. What? Kurt Russell. He saw the lights too. In 2017, he was interviewed and he claimed he saw the UFOs over Phoenix in their own realm. He said, quote, I was flying my plane into Phoenix the night on March 13th when I spotted this phenomenon that came to be known, the Phoenix lights, end quote. Russell is a licensed pilot and reported the strange lights to the control tower at the the Phoenix Sky Harbor airport. During this, they told him that nothing was appearing on the radar. He then responded to them. Okay. Quote. Okay. I'm going to declare it's unidentified. It's flying and it's six objects. End quote. Whoa. So, So there's that. That was my favorite one. And that kind of that was my favorite. I love Kurt Russell. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And not only was this one of the largest possible UFO sightings in history, but Arizona also has one of the most insane jaw-dropping UFO abduction accounts that I've ever heard of. Nicole, have you ever heard of Travis Walton? No. Have I? You, may, you might have and not, and not even like know it. Um, there's yeah, a, why does that sound familiar? So let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. So this is the Phoenix Lights. This was in 19, that was in 1997. We're going to jump back a little bit. I want to talk about this UFO abduction real quick. And if you guys want a full episode, definitely let us know. I will do a whole episode on this guy because, and, and his coworkers, because this is a crazy story. I'm just going to do a quick little, like kind of recap on it. So you ready? All right. In 1975, Travis Walton was a young dude living and working as a logger in Snowflake, Arizona. 
On November 5th, while driving home with his coworkers after a long day of logging and doing things that loggers do, they saw a bright light they can't, they thought could have been like a forest fire. So they're like, oh man, we got to check it out and put it out. Let's take care of that. Upon reaching the glow, they saw a flying saucer. And the way it's told, it's exactly what I would think of when I think of a flying saucer. Like, yeah. it's a flying saucer. Travis decided to get out and get a better look. His bros urged him to return to the truck when a bright light beamed on him, knocking him down, rendering him unconscious. It began to slowly beam him up. This dude was abducted by some Star Trekking snowbirds while his six co-workers watched on in horror. While Travis became a lab rat to three aliens, his co-workers were being investigated for his murder. After five long days and an intense manhunt, Travis came walking up out of the Apache Sick Graves National Forest into the highway. He was nude and completely out of it. In 1978, Travis wrote a book on his accounts and his story in 1993. And this is why you might have like heard of him, Nicole. In 1993, Hollywood wanted a piece of this action and made it into a movie, Fire in the Sky. But honestly, it was like, and it wasn't even filmed here. The Hollywood producers took one look at Snowflake, Arizona, and they were like, yeah, bro, that's a nope for me. And they actually went to Oregon and filmed it. And then there's another crazy fact before I get your thoughts on this that I just wanted to throw in there that Travis and all of his coworkers, they've all been given multiple lie detector tests over the years and they've passed every single one of them. There were no results that were inconclusive or anything like that. They just all passed. What are your thoughts on Travis? What do you, what do you think? Do you think he was abducted? I mean, he could have been. Oh, I know. Right. It's crazy. And like, and if he wasn't, where did he go for five days? Right. Like, I mean, that's a pretty good, like mushroom or acid trip, I guess. Right. Right. There's, there's this author who definitely thinks that it's not real, but like these guys, there's six other coworkers that were with that were there that were being investigated six so that's seven guys including travis that were all sticking to their story and this was in 1970 1978 1975 1975 and that's a long time for seven dudes to stick to the same story right and all past lie detector like i don't lie detector tests are eh but also eh i don't know i just think I think it's weird, but I also, I don't know if you guys want a full episode on Travis Walton, please let us know because I would love to dig more into the story. Like I'd love to. And if you guys have time, you should check out fire in the sky too. It's a good movie, but that's my Travis Walton story. That's what I got on him. Just super crazy. And I feel like whenever I think of the Travis Walton story too, in my mind, even as a young kid, when I think of like an alien abduction, I feel like it's the epitome of like an alien abduction. Like you're abducted, there's aliens standing all around you and like weird flashback, like memories. And then I feel like they just return you. Like, I don't know. And it's a flying saucer. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. (laughs) And yeah. And maybe the reason why we all think that is because of this story. You know what I mean? And so now it's just like embedded in our memory. So now when we hear stuff like this, we're like, oh, yeah. But maybe it's because of this story. But that's where we base it on. And everything's based 
somewhere with fact, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. That's crazy, though. That's right. Like, you said he was gone in the woods for four days. Five days. Five days. Yes, that's what I mean. Like, if he wasn't abducted, like if his, if it was a hoax that he and his coworkers decided like cook up, yeah, then where was he for five days and they were being investigated for murder. Like I just, I, there's, I, I would like, yeah, to at some point, story. yeah. Wouldn't you like, wouldn't you fold? Cause you're pissed off because it's like, you really want, you know, this guy to come back. Cause you don't want to go to jail. <sighs> Something. I don't know. Yeah. And, and guys, let us know what you think about this episode. Email us, DM us, talk to us. What sort of spooky episodes do you want next, if any? Also, if you guys have any stories for us, any personal stories, and you want to share them with us, let us know. And if you're okay with us putting them on future episodes, let us know. We'd love it. Absolutely. Leave a review or a comment wherever you stream this podcast and let us know. Tell us all your thoughts. Right. Please, please do. And let us know what you think about the Phoenix Lights. If you think it's a, the military, if you think it's a hoax um, that tricked thousands of people, or if you think E.T. phoned home and brought his cousins over, um, let us know what you think. I'd love to hear it. The truth is out there. And as always, let's get lost. Yeah, let's get lost. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers.